0: Hi, my name is Thomas, and I'm going to tell you a story. It's both a new story and an old story. If you've been listening to the Oligar, you know that the characters often reference myths and legends of Oa that informed their culture. So, a friend of mine suggested that I record some of them, for those of you that are craving a little something extra. These stories will be short. They aren't necessary to follow the Oligar, And, like all histories, they might not be exactly accurate. But if they sound familiar, it's because deep down, your heart knows the truth of them. These are the first histories. 4. The Gift of Hate Alton Setzig, the Scribe King was growing concerned. The harvest moon had long been darkened, and ten more moons had waxed and waned over the Dai Shao since the first history of Andor had been revealed to the world. In all that time, the history had drawn a steady stream of curious travelers, scholars, and nobles to the temple of the Dai Shao, and Alten Setzig was generous in the teaching of its manufacture. So the Ulgan script spread across two continents, and the binding and illumination of texts in the Andrish style became well-renowned. It was soon fashionable in Ulgan bloodlines to send second sons and daughters to the Daishau for an education, and when they returned home, they too would pen first histories of their lands. And also during this time, the Icons... Romular and Ceramis were to be gathering followers, but the twins were capricious, and given a year to act, they procrastinated mightily, as Setzig had hoped they would. They spent three seasons touring the lands and asserting their power. Romular caused small quakes across the north every time he wrestled a lesser giant, Ceramis flooded pastures with magma wherever she felt her authority had been forgot. But over the summer, the Scribe King began to receive reports of a more sinister nature. The icons were now taking the work of campaigning seriously, and were demanding families surrender a healthy son or daughter to them to take with them on their quest. The icons were so gargantuan They could crush a cottage with a fingertip, so there was very little arguing with them. And what arguing there was never ended in a villager's favor. So they were building their bases upon coercion and death, and were ravaging the communities from which they harvested support. Now, as feared as the icons were, they were yet also revered. And if any person ever thought of fighting against them, it was most likely only in their darkest dreams. On the day before the equinox, Alton Setzig woke from one such dream consumed with fear. His whole body shaking, he dressed hastily, left his bedroom, and went straight away to the temple. Normally, The temple would be filled with prayer-givers and pilgrims, but in preparation for the equinox it had been shut to common folk. Only two figures stood inside, gazing down upon the first history when the scribe-king entered. They turned at the sound of the king's footsteps, and the king stopped in shock. One was a dreadfully ugly woman her face deformed by terrible scars. It appeared that some great beast had clawed her across the eyes in a battle long ago. She'd been lucky to keep her eyes, but all the features around them seemed to have twisted beneath the skin like knots in a tree. She had black hair cropped above her shoulders and wore an expensive suit of leather trimmed with fur, and adorned with rings of gold. The other was stranger still. He was a man, or at least he had the seeming of a man, but his skin gleamed smooth as stone, white with green marbling. He was absolutely naked, and after turning to look at Altensetzig, he looked more a statue than a living thing. Sprouting from between his shoulder blades, two great marble wings were folded. Each feather was carved, or had the seeming of being carved, with a precision that could not be matched by the finest chisel. "'So we meet without weapons,' said the woman, and by this Alton Setzig knew her to be a Thar. "'This is a master craft,' she continued." It almost makes me see the value in your so called civilization. And she smiled, and by this Alten Setsig knew her humor. Who are you? said the king, and he became very conscious of the haste in which he had dressed himself. I am Shanarij of the Idas Katarin. My herd has been riding across the fields of Andor from the snake-spines. She gestured to the winged man of green and white marble. This is Logarazasanian. He is an angel, built at the forge of Anrana to assist the gods in their acts of creation, but of late he has been granted time to see the world, and he has been traveling with us for some moons. Altensetsig nodded. "'Of course,' he said, not sure he really understood. "'It really is a beautiful artifact,' said the angel, and his voice was musical and clear. "'I have never seen anything like it made by mortal hands.' "'We have heard you will offer it to the icons tomorrow,' the hideous woman said, Romular and Seramis. It's true, said Alten Setzig. The angel and the Thar looked at each other. Might you grant a viewing to the rest of my herd, asked the Thar. They too would like to see it. As Alten Setzig opened his mouth to answer, an idea came to him, sudden as a flash. It would be my honor, he said, on one condition. You see, the Thars were the most unruly of the Echnica. They rode from place to place, and for the most part avoided the icons, or tolerated one's protection only until they smelled tyranny, then would pack up and flee in the night. They did not revere them as others did, they feared them, to be sure, and they kept their distance. But they were a formidable breed of warriors, and Alton Setzig thought that if any person could stand eye to eye with an icon, even as the icon towered above, it would be this woman. Accompany me to the Field of Stones tomorrow, Alton Setzig said to the angel in the Thar, and swear to defend Andor and its people. The king lowered his voice and continued, I do not know how the meeting will go, but, though my most fervent wish is peace, wherever our rulers direct their gaze, violence is not far away. The strange visitors regarded Alten Setzig for a long moment and understood him full. You have my word said Shanarij. And mine, Logariz agreed. And they clasped the king by his shoulders, bowed their heads in turn, and placed their brows against his chest. The next day, Alten Setzig and his retinue rode out from the Dai Shao at dawn. The sun lanced through the city, like a thousand arrows of light that flew between the hooves and over the heads of the Andrish cavalry. The Idas Katarine had made ready and rode to meet them. Three hundred Thars with bow and arrow thus joined the two flanks of royal cataphracts, and the combined force fled the rising sun with jaws set and faces grim. The first history itself was carried on a single feather, plucked from Logarazasanian's right shouldered wing, and it flew behind the Andrish entourage as if balanced on the palm of Karash Burcha. They reached the field of stones as the sun climbed halfway up the sky, the morning shadows matching their owner's height upon the ground, "'so that the crop of dark basalt stalks cast their own graves upon the earth. "'The field of stones was so named after what a stone farmer might plant, "'a great acreage of rocks, of heights varying between two and twenty feet. "'They were spaced out almost orderly across the earth, "'with ample room to walk between them. "'At midday the icons arrived. Perhaps, being carved from the same mountain, they could not help but arrive in the same time. Behind Romular, who came from the north, trailed a piteous throng of starved men and women in tattered sheepskins with bleeding feet. Behind Ceramis, an even more wretched crowd of conscripts hurried, coastal farmers and fisher-people, shivering in the cold wind of the North Country. "'What ho, sister!' cried Romular, and his followers flinched as the air vibrated with his voice. "'I am surprised to see you here!' "'And why would I surprise you so?' hissed Ceramesse and her followers drew away from her, for they knew too well the danger posed by a splash of spittle from her tongue. "'Because,' answered Romular, and extended his stone-scaled arms wide, "'I would think my victory by the people's will obvious.' And now the scribe-king felt a terrible pang of guilt for he saw that the stories of kidnapped villagers and mortal threats were all true, and he saw how terribly mistreated the Icons' pressed contingents were. Not so fast, he cried, and the Icons and their followers turned to look. What a strange and bitter sight it must have been to those miserable folk. The glimmering armor of the cataphract and the hale-faces of the Thars, visible only in glimpses through the pillars of basalt like a mirage. The icons alone towered above the field, and indeed they had to be careful where they stepped to avoid bruising their enormous feet upon the taller outcroppings. "'We are met upon the equinox,' continued the king blessed by the eight above, and his guards brought forth the first history of Andor, and placed it atop a wide and flat-topped stone at the fore of their party. A year ago, we resolved to dedicate this great work, the pride of Andor, to the icon who most earned the love of our people. "'So it was said,' fumed Ceramis greedily, "'And so it shall be done,' bellowed Romular. "'I see you have brought great hosts, each of you. "'And this, of course, attests to your honour and benevolence. "'But what, may I ask, have you offered these folk to please them come so far? "'I am sure you must have made mighty promises to them.' that they would venture such a distance from their homes to vouch for you. I am sure you're right, Romular drawled uncertainly, for this had not occurred to him at all. Their families must miss their kinship and labor. Crops likely rot in the fields without hands to pick them. You must intend to do great deeds on their behalf to prove their love not misplaced." And the icons looked at each other, and shifted their weight as they sized one another up. "'It would be so easy for you, Ceramis,' Alton Setzig prompted, "'to carve irrigation with your claws from the flood plains to the forest, for example. It would be trivial, a few weeks of not too industrious stacking, for you to erect watchtowers across the steppe, O Romular." And the icons nodded. True enough, that would be trivial. Indeed, yes, it would be easy. And what else? setzig added quickly, and he held his breath tight in his chest, for this was the pin upon which all his hopes hung. For a long moment, silence ruled, as the five hundred-foot-tall twins regarded each other with suspicion. Then Ceramis shouted. "'Why, I could spend an afternoon wading through the Crimson Sea, "'smashing pirate ships that plague the Andrish coast.' "'And the king's heart lifted. "'I'd relish it,' Ceramis continued. "'It would be nothing.' "'Not to be outdone, Romular shot back. "'It would indeed be nothing.' "'Nothing compared to felling a thousand trees for the lumber towns near the Snake Spines. "'I could do in ten days' time what they could scarcely dream of in a year.' "'Felling trees is child's play,' Ceramus menaced. "'I'll hollow out new lakes in the most arid deserts, "'bring rivers to towns whose wells have dried.' The south shall be remade, at the common folk's request. This is all most incredible, Setzig began. The trap had sprung, now it was time to collect. But the icons would not be stopped, they barreled on. I will shake silver out of the mountains like a salt cellar. Romular roared. I'll catch whales like minnows. I'll build walls with my scales. I will quell storms in the sky and melt frosts from the fields, howled Ceramis. And I must do all this? Romular turned on the scribe king, and Alten Setzig could see he was angry even thus fooled. Not all, the king began, but already Ceramis was squealing. Yes, it is too much to give. The people must see that. No, and Romular looked down at his terrified followers and furrowed his great slab of a brow. No, it is not for this that you were summoned here. Indeed, I would not have needed half of you, but for how well I know the greed of the Southerners. They want this gift from the king all to themselves, and I had to bring you lot to see that the north was not forgotten. "'Here, indeed, is a promise. "'I won't let the thieving South rob you of what you're worth.' "'Nonsense!' whispered Saramis. "'Drivel!' she cawed and looked down at her own contingent. "'It is the Northerners' arrogance that necessitated your coming. "'If they did not believe themselves to be your masters,' I would never have dragged you here to prove them wrong." And now Setzig saw the nature of their redirection, and he was gripped with panic. "'Please!' he shouted. "'A single act of beneficence from each of you would suffice!' But Romular turned his head and narrowed his eyes. And he outstretched one jagged arm to point at the scribe king. It is he, the king, who first pitted you against each other. And now the fisher people crow with glee at your misfortune. Answered Ceramis. The north folk love the king, second only to themselves. What becomes of you, my loves? They could not care less it's not true boomed the king but his voice was drowned out they are a wicked slothful people who know not the grit and perseverance of north andor all day i imagine they sit about their beaches and laugh at the thought of your noble struggles and Romular's ragged army tilted back their shoulders and stretched their limbs. These words played upon suspicions they'd long held, and they were eager to finish this bad business and go home. The gift I give you, Romular rumbled on, is the gift of hate. Armed so... You may destroy these haughty rivals. Return home with the spoils of war." The king screamed. No! But the hunger-addled mobs from north and south sprang forward running between the rough posts of stone and arming themselves with rocks and bones that lay scattered in the field. They fell upon each other as the icons laughed above them. The cataphracts rode forward to intervene, but they were pulled from their horses and beaten by the crowd. Their armor was pulled from off their bodies, and many were slain with their own swords in deadly seconds of confusion. As the hurricane of human desperation widened, Alt threw his crown upon the earth and, weeping, charged forward to try as he might to end the madness. He was stopped by Shanarij, who dragged him back by his shoulders and pulled him forcibly into a saddle with the help of another Thar. Though he struggled, they roped him to his rider and carried him from the melee to rule another day. As the battle raged, and the wounded drew back to lick their wounds and stumble away towards home, the icons laughed and laughed, for the humans fought like rats beneath them, and the awkward, violent movements struck them comical. THE HATE THAT WAS BORN OUT OF THAT TERRIBLE CONFLICT FOLLOWED THE PEASANTS' HOME, FOR THEY SAW NOTHING FOR IT, AND FOREVER BLAMED THEIR KINFOLK PAST THE FAR WALLS OF THE DAI Shao, ALONG WITH THE THARS AND THE OLGIN, WHO WERE COMPLICIT IN THEIR SHAME. AND FOR A THOUSAND YEARS THIS HATE METASTASIZED AND GREW, outliving even the fall of the icons themselves. It festered beneath the surface until the dusk of the long darkness, when hate came to rule and Andor split in two. As for the first history, most say that the book was destroyed, ripped apart by the furious mob. In some tellings, this is framed as a kind of warning to those who flaunt knowledge and wealth before the poor and unlearned. But in those versions, the king is colder, the icons less devious, and the storyteller's purpose overshadows the events themselves. In this telling, it is a tragedy. The first history was, after all, rightly named the Pride of Andor. It was a first of firsts, and as a symbol and a work of art it changed the world. Most folk of Andrish birth still float their flags upon this legend. Its loss is a wound in the people's heart. Perhaps... Its torn bindings and weeping pages are now buried among the dead in the field of stones. But some say that Logarazasanian's feather still rested beneath the spine of the first history, and with the power of a wish, he spirited the book away upon the wind to rest in halls unknown. These are The First Histories of Oa, a companion series to The Oligar. The show is written and created by myself, Thomas Constantine Moore, and our theme music is by Joe Mendick. The Oliger will return soon with its seventh and final episode. Thank you for listening. The sun still shines. The wind still blows.